Well, good evening. We're going to be back in First Peter, Second Peter, Second Peter, Second Peter, chapter two. Here we at work. Here we uh, we got some folks that well, they're mechanics in title, and just the way that they're they've been trained in their job and in their their position there. They are excellent at paperwork, and boy, they can really whip out that paperwork, but when it comes to actually fixing the machine, they're lost. They have no idea where to go. But, you know, they'll go around, and they'll walk around with these carts of tools and parts, and, of course, you know, those guys who, who know how to fix the machine, and we just kind of look at them like, what are you doing with all this stuff, we know what you do. We know you don't fix it because we turn a work order in and we come back the next day and it's still not fixed. So, I just thought, you know, these, these guys, they are pretending. And here we see that there are some pretenders. Let's look at Second Peter chapter 2. It says, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that brought them, and bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Here in chapter 2, Peter's going to open up, and he's going to start talking about these false prophets, and how they, how, and false teachers, how they present themselves, and how they conduct themselves, and how they exercise themselves, and what they're doing. These are as I've just titled, these are the, there is the presence of pretenders. They are, well, you know, they, they can walk to walk, they can talk to talk, but you know what? When it comes down to it, they're just not there. They're just not doing it right. They are false teachers, false prophets. And this is nothing new. There's always been false teachers, even as, even as we see today, there's false teachers, obviously. During the time that Peter was writing this, there were false prophets and false teachers. And he's going to go back. He's going to mention, you know, the, the time of, of Noah and Lot. And and I just stopped and think. I thought, you know, when Moses and there was Jambres and Jambri that the Bible talks about in in, in Second Timothy, uh, there have always been false teachers and false prophets, people who are claiming to preach the way of truth. And certainly, there wouldn't be any church out there today that would claim otherwise. Every church would claim, well, yes, we're teaching the truth. We're teaching the full truth. Because no one's going to say, well, you know, we're, we're only teaching half-truth. <laughs> no, no one's going to come out and say that. So we see that there's always been this presence of pretenders. But we see the Bible tells us that they have some wicked ways. The Bible tells of their wicked ways. Says, but there are false prophets among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who shall privily bring in damnable heresies. These heresies that they're bringing in, these wicked doctrines, these, these false doctrines. The Bible tells us that this is going to be the case because over in Second Timothy, the Bible tells us in chapter 4, Beginning in verse 3, it says, For the time will come when they shall not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall heap unto themselves 
teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and be turned unto fables. Boy, isn't that the case today? Don't we see that happening all over the place? Well, you know, we need to have something that's more appealing to society. We need to have something that's what in their in their minds they'll say is more relevant. But the truth of the matter is there's really nothing more relevant to anybody's life than the Word of God. It is He has given us all things pertaining to life and godliness. So in their minds they'll just say, Oh, you know, it's just so hard to understand, it's so hard to read, it doesn't make sense. And you know what? To the unsaved mind, it doesn't make sense. To the saved mind, to those who have the Holy Spirit guiding them, that we can see this, the truths of Scripture clearly. So we go back over to First to Second Peter here, and we keep reading. It says of their wicked ways that they'll bring in the heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. The Bible tells us over in 2 Corinthians that in 2 Corinthians 2.17 the Bible tells us it says for we are not as many which corrupt the word of God but as sincerity but as of God the sight of God speak we in Christ. We're not handling the God the word of God deceitfully. We're not saying, well, you know, we'll just take one verse here, and, but not the whole verse, only the part that we like. <coughs> Which, by the way, that's exactly what Satan did when he was tempting Jesus. Oh, he took the scriptures, not the whole context, just the part that he wanted, and even the part he wanted, he had to you know, try to kind of trim that and make it and, and fit it into his own context. He handled the word of God deceitfully. And corruptly. But we see that there are many, many today that will that will take their their predisposition about, oh well, you know, I really think this is okay, so now let me go to the scriptures and try to wrestle it and work it in and squeeze it in to verify to say, Oh yeah, you see the scripture says no the scripture doesn't say that. Scripture still calls sin sin. And just because we might want to justify it, and we try to look for the scriptures to, to do so. We can twist the scriptures, we can fool ourselves, but we're not going to fool God, we're not going to fool the very author of the book. They brought in these heresies, even denying the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us over in Matthew that there shall be many that shall say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in thy name? And in thy name, cast out devils in thy name, do many wonderful works? There's going to be many that are going to say that. And then will I profess to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye them that work iniquity. God's going to tell them, clean and clear. No, I don't know you. You might have said you did all these things in my name, but I don't know you. It calls them you are workers of iniquity, ye that work iniquity. There have always been 
these false teachers, and they have their wicked ways. Well, these wicked ways, they lead, they lead others to these destructive detours. They turn them away from the truth that we read. They turn them away from the truth unto fables. The Bible tells us over in Matthew, or excuse me, in 1 Timothy, once again, there in chapter 4, that they turn them away from these fables. 1 Timothy 4, the Bible says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter time some shall depart from the, the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrine of devils, speaking lies and heresies, having their conscience sealed with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, command to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. There's going to be people who are going to turn away. Why are they going to turn away? Because they're giving, they're listening, they're hearing these false prophets, they're hearing these false teachers. And boy, you know, hey, you know, what what so-and-so sound, says over here, boy, you know, that sounds a whole lot easier than daily taking up my cross, following him. Boy, it just sounds so much easier to hear the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel that some would proclaim that, you know, that they say that supposing, as the Bible would say, supposing gain is godliness. Boy, you know, it just, that just sounds a lot easier. Boy, doesn't it? It just sounds so much nicer if we say, oh yeah, you want to be a Christian, your problems are all going to be taken care of. God's going to take care of you. And, well, you know, while that might sound good to the ear, it certainly doesn't line up with Scripture. It doesn't line up when we see how people have suffered for the gospel. It doesn't line up with the life of Christ, even, who he himself suffered. It would only make sense, then, that if we're going to be true followers of Christ, that we would suffer, even as he suffered. But these things, they sound easier. And the people are going to give way to that. They're going to depart from the faith. They're going to give heed to these seducing spirits, to these doctrine of devils, and it tells us. Even, as I said here, even denying the Lord that bought them. And we see that, people even denying the Lord that bought them. And they bring upon themselves, and bringing, yeah, and denying the Lord that bought them, and bringing upon themselves swift destruction. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, in verse 13, the Bible tells us, For of such false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ, no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. No great thing, that is, if his ministers also be transferred into ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. We'll turn over back over into Matthew. The Bible tells us in Matthew, Matthew chapter 7. Matthew 
Bible tells in Matthew 7, 15, it says, Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but are inwardly are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns, or figs of thistles? For every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree bringeth that bringeth forth not good fruit is hewed down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. These that would come in and bring in these false doctrines, these false teachings, because you're going to know them by their fruits. You're going to see what they're producing. See what comes out of their church. See what comes out of their ministry. Is it people that want to serve God, that want to lift up his name, that want to be in his word, that want to reach the lost? Or is it people that, well, what can I get in this world? How can I be successful? What do I want to achieve? Boy, we're going to know them by their fruits. A good tree is not going to bring forth evil fruit. But it's a good church, they're not going to be producing bad bad teenagers, bad bad young adults that are concerned about self and not concerned about things of spirit, not concerned about things of Christ. Good churches will produce those who are concerned about Christ, those that are concerned with the things of, of heaven and not with the things of this world. It says, Wherefore, by their fruits, ye shall know them. We're going to know these false teachers we're going to know false apostles, false prophets by their works. Just as we're going to know the true apostles, true preachers, people who are preaching the word of God in truth. We'll know them by their works. Says, Even so every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. Back in Second Peter, the Bible is going to go on to tell us of these covetous con men. These presents of pretenders who see in their wicked way the destructive detours, but they, now we look at them, these covetous con men. It says in verse 2, it says, Many shall follow their precocious, way, their precocious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken. And through covetousness shall they refrain words Make merchandise of you. The judgment now is a long time lingering, and their destruction slumbereth not. The destruction is coming. These covetous con men, they, they've sought covetously to, to take what they can get. Oh, and not honestly, it says with framed words. Which is, by the way, that's exactly what a con man does. Uses lies uses his lips, he talks real smooth and real good, and, but it's all lies, it's all hypocrisy. Why? So he can get money, so he can take advantage of people. Here, describes these covetous conmen. The Bible tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning in verse 3, says, here it says, 
If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing but doubting of questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, rail, strifes, railings, evil surmising, perverse disputings of men of corrupt mind, destitute of truth, supposing that gain is godliness. And the Bible gives us this admonition, it says, from such withdraw thyself. We're to withdraw ourselves from those who would seek to gain, seek that, hey, well, hey, if you're rich, then you must be godly. Hey, if if you're rich, and that must be the blessing of the Lord on you, and boy, he must be blessing you because you're spiritual, because you're right with him. One quick look around this world to see who's rich and who's not would clearly tell us that those who are rich in this world are probably not the most spiritual people in this world. Those who who have gained much have cheated, they've lied, they've worked their way up the corporate ladder with no thought or regard to God. No thought or regard to eternity. These covetous conmen through the through covetousness, they shall with frame words make merchandise of you, through judgment now a long time lingereth, and their destruction slumbereth not. Their judgment is coming. We see the presence of pretenders, but we also see here the coming judgment of Jehovah. We see he's going to be judging them according to their work. We see the beginning right there in verse 4 says, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but did cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrowing, making them an examples to those that after should live ungodly, and delivered just lot vexed the, with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them, seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. Here we, Peter gives several examples Beginning right away, there in verse 4, it says, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto the judgment. The Bible tells us over in Jude, beginning in verse 6, it says, and the, and the angels, which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, hath they reserved in everlasting chains unto darkness, unto the judgment of that great day. These angels 
that left their first their own habitation, he now has them in reserve to be judged, waiting the judgment that is coming. As mentioned in Revelation chapter 12, in verse 8, the Bible tells us, And prevail not, neither was their place found anymore in heaven. It's, of course, talking about the dragon and his tail that drew a third of the stars. This would be Satan and drawing the third of these angels. And boy, there's going to be war in heaven and they're going to be cast out. They're not going to have any place there anymore. In Revelation, later on in Revelation, we'll see Satan bound and cast into hell. Then later on, cast into the lake that burned with fire and brimstone with him. False prophet and the, the beast on. They're going to have their judgment. Their judgment is coming. And God is going to be judging these angels that left their first state. We see he goes on there in verse 5 and says, And spared not the old world, but saved Noah the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. We saw the judgment of Jehovah as he judges the angels, but he also judged the old world. The Bible tells us over in Genesis chapter 6. I'll begin reading in verse 5. It says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great, in the earth, and that every imagination of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And God and the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and every creeping thing, and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Here we see the judge of all the earth. He's going to do right. He's going to judge the wickedness of man. But he's going to preserve and keep the right, those who are righteous. He's going to deliver the righteous. He brought the flood, of course, and upon the world it destroyed the, the whole world. That worldwide flood. All the men, all men was destroyed except for Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their wives. God brought a swift judgment upon them. The Bible tells us over in Luke, Luke chapter 17, in verse 26. Because and as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also be in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given to marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Here, they're there, they're carrying on their business. No mind of things that of spiritual nature, no mind of God, nothing mentioned there about worshiping God about doing right. And as God said, it was thought to man only evil continually. But when Noah went into the ark, that was when God brought judgment. 
Continuing there here in Second Peter, going over, starting in verse 6, chapter 2, it says, And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly, and deliver just lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. There in Genesis, God brought destruction upon Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities there that were around there in the plain. Why? Because of their wickedness, because of the sin that was there. The Bible tells us, continuing in, in Luke 17, the Bible tells us in verse 28, Likewise also was it in the days of Lot. They did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. God brought swift judgment upon them. Why? Because of their wickedness. But yet he delivered just Lot. God brought him found. God had mercy upon him and didn't destroy him with the wickedness of all the wicked sinners. You know, I was sort of saying, boy, you know, you think of just Lot living there in Sodom. But when you think about it, it was, it was only Lot that opened his doors to these strangers. It was only Lot that, that brought him in. Nobody else was offering them any place, which was just kind of the common courtesy there. And then it was Lot that went out against the city and said, no, no, don't do so wickedly. Don't do this wickedness. The alternative wasn't much better, but he withstood the wickedness that was there. Now, it's hard to justify that, that Lot was just, but when you consider Comparatively speaking, to the men of the city, suppose, you know, he had some sense of right and wrong, and he knew what they were doing was wrong. He, God delivered him. Says, For that righteous man dwelling among them, seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. As I read that, I thought, boy, you know, God calls us to be salt and light, and light in the midst, to hold forth the word of light in the midst of the crooked and perverse generation. And yet, if we fail to do that, if we fail to be the salt and the light in this world, then we're going to be like this man Lot. It's going to be vexing their righteous souls, seeing the wickedness around. It should bother us. It should disturb us to see the wickedness that goes around. The ungodliness that is rampant. It should have bothered Lot more than it did. But he had lost his testimony. He wasn't being the salt that he needed to be. He wasn't being the light in the darkness. 
that salt had lost savor. It was henceforth good for nothing to be cast out and trodden under the foot of men. If we lose our salt, if we stop making a difference, then we're just like that. If we cease to make a difference here in this city, then we're good for nothing. We need to be making a difference. We need not to give in to the pressures of the world. We need to not be okay with the sin going on around us. Say, well, you know, I'm not doing it, but we'll let them do it. No, that's not okay. That's not enough. The Bible tells us over there in Genesis that these two men, they came in. Boy, there was just wickedness abounding. In Genesis 19, begin reading verse 23. It says, And the sun was risen, the sun was risen upon the earth when Lot entered Zor. Then the Lord rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord, from the Lord out of heaven and overthrew those cities and all the plain and all inhabitants of the cities and that which grew upon the ground. Lot's wife, Lot's wife says, but Lot's wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt. Then makes a comparison here with Abraham. It says, and Abraham got him up early in the morning. You got to remember this is right after you know, in Abraham has been making intercession for Lot, intercession for Sodom and Gomorrah there. And you can read that in over there in uh, Genesis 18 there. He is making this intercession prayer. And Lot's going to get, or Abraham's going to get him up early in the morning to the place where he stood before the Lord. He looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the plain and beheld and lo, the smoke of the country went up as the smoke of a furnace. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities which the, in which Lot dwelt. These cities that Lot was there in, God remembers Abraham and he delivered Lot. Thankful for the mercies of the Lord. He's able to deliver those who will put his, their trust in him. As we see here in Second Peter chapter 2, verse 9, says, The Lord knoweth how to deliver the ungodly out of temptation, and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. Abraham asked God there in Genesis 18, and he said, Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? In verse 25 there it says, Thus be it far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked, that be far from thee. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? 
the judge of the Lord of all the earth shall do right. And he does deliver the righteous, as we read here in Second Peter. So how does this apply to us? What what can we take out of this? Well, one, we can take that God is faithful to deliver the godly out of temptation. God is faithful to bring about deliverance. In in Psalms, verse in chapter thirty-four, Psalm thirty-four, verse fifteen, the Bible reads, "The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open unto their cry." The face of the Lord is against them that do evil, to cut off remembrance of them from off the earth. The righteous cry, and the Lord heareth, and delivereth them out of all their troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and savor such as be of a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. The Lord delivered the righteous. The Lord provides a way of escape. The Lord is nigh, the Bible says, to them that are broken heart. He saves such as our contrite spirit. He hears the cry of the righteous. As I was reading it, I thought, you know, am I righteous? Would, would God count me as righteous? Would God count you as righteous? Does the Lord hear your cry, or is there something between your soul and the Savior? Something that would hinder that communication that would that would weaken and dampen that cry. Lord, he hears the cry of the righteous. In Proverbs chapter 12, the Bible tells us here in verse 13, the wicked is snared by the transgression of his lips, but the just shall come out of trouble. Why is just going to come out of trouble? Because God's going to hear his cry. God's going to be hearing the cry of the righteous. God's going to stand up for his children. God's going to protect his children. But those that are unrighteous, that are ungodly, God will hear their cry for repentance. He'll hear their cry for salvation, but deliver them out of the out of the trouble if that's what they're crying for. God's got no obligation to. God's got no, you know, it's not going to be not holding to his word to deliver the ungodly, deliver the unrighteous. Sure, there were many on the day that the floods came that, oh, now we'll call upon the Lord. Now, hey, we can see the destruction coming. But it was too late. Days of Sodom and Gomorrah, boy, they were, I'm sure, when they saw the fire and the brimstone coming. Oh, boy, you know, this isn't good. We need to call upon call, call upon God. Call upon, Time to call upon God. Now the destruction's coming. Too late. It's going to be that way in the end, end time. Boy. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
Because my desire is that they'll do it before it's too late. Time's coming. Time's ticking. Are we going to be salt and light? Will the Lord be able to say, look at us and see that we're righteous and hear our prayer, hear our cry? The Lord remembered no. The Lord remembered Abraham and delivered Lot. Would be said that about us that, hey, wickedness was going on, but the Lord remembered you. Would he remember us? Would our lives be making the difference that when God looks around, he sees, well, they're all ungodly except for for those people right there in Brookfield. With our heads bowed and eyes closed. Question is, come to us. Are we being righteous? Are we living a righteous life? One that would bring glory and honor to God. Can we honestly say there's nothing between my soul and the Savior. If you're here tonight, and there is something between your soul and your Savior. Won't you take care of it? If God's brought something to you, brought something to your mind, something to your heart, won't you take care of it? In retrospect, in light of who God is, it's a wonderful thing to hear that from the God of heaven and earth. Most of us will never even hear from our president. They'll never call us directly. He's only there for a short term. And boy, what an honor that would be. But how much more so an honor that the God of heaven and earth would speak to you tonight.